Welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial United Methodist Church. Each week, we open the scriptures in faith that the timeless truth of God will guide us as we seek to follow in the steps of Jesus. This week's message continues the sermon series based on I Am a Church Member by Tom S. Rayner. The first two weeks of the sermon series focused on how to be a functioning and unifying member of the church. And this week, we move to being a selfless member. If we are to function as one unified body, we must first put others and our church before ourselves. Pastor David Cartwright discusses how to put the good of the church before our own preferences and conveniences. As we go to our message today, let's open our hearts and minds to the truth that God would speak to us. I invite you to turn in your scripture to the book of Philippians in the New Testament. We'll be reading there from chapter 2, from the first five verses. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi. So hear now God's word as it is, it is recorded there. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation in love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Christ Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. In these moments, O God, may your voice be the voice that is heard. Grant your Holy Spirit that I would speak words of your truth, to speak them with grace, with mercy, in simplicity, that you would accomplish in our midst your good and perfect will. For every good thing that we receive and experience now, we offer only to you the praise and the glory in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. We continue today a series based on the book, I Am a Church Member, written by Tom Rayner. We're in the third chapter this week, and we are talking about uh, being parts of the body of Christ. And this week we address the issue of being selfless parts of the body. I'm old enough to remember, I wouldn't have remembered the date without looking it up, but in 1974... Burger King came out with a slogan that lasted roughly 40 years for the corporation. Do you remember what it was? Have it your way. Most of you could probably remember the jingle if I gave you a head start on it. You want to try? Hold the pickle, hold the lettuce, special orders don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us serve it your way. You don't remember that? Surely you remember that. Well, some of you are too young to remember that. 
I'm not too young to remember that. Have it your way, right? It would be hard for me to think of a slogan that better depicts the consumerist culture in which we live. Have it your way. That's really what uh, businesses try to sell to a consumer, right? Because businesses who want your business know that we are wired to want it our way. Consumerist thinking really is, is boiled down to this. And yes, I know that I'm the captain of oversimplifying things today. But this is basically consumerist thinking. That it is that I have currency that I am willing to spend if I expect to receive something back that is sufficient for the cost that I'm spending. Now, if you kind of expend, you can extend the idea of currency. Currency really doesn't have to be money. It could be your time. It could be your energy. But is anything that you're willing to give if what you get back is acceptable to you? When we buy things, we want, ultimately, to, to release the least amount of our currency to get what we want. Let, let's say that you have your mind set on a new car or a new appliance or something like that. You will determine exactly what it is you want. And then once, you've, once you have determined what you want, you will use every strategy that you can so that you can get it by, by spending the least amount of your currency in order to get it. True? Some of you even brag about it. And don't tell me you don't. Guys, you'll be, oh man, yeah, my new car. And guess what I got it for? You want to tell people what a good deal you got on it. Or it could go the other way. If you're, if you're willing to release a certain amount of your currency, you want, you want the option that will give you the most back for it. If you're going to join a health club, and there are several health clubs in the community where you live, and, and the costs are about the same, if you can go to place A and get a certain amount of benefits for, for your membership cost, and then you can go to uh, business B and get a wider variety of options for about the same price, which one are you going to use? You'll go with option B because you'll get more for what you pay for it. That's basically the way consumerist thinking works. Consumerist thinking is fine. We have to acknowledge, though, how much it gets ingrained in the way we think. Even to the point of invading the way we think about our life together in the church. Consider, if you will, how strange the term is, church shopping. It's possible that some of you have used that term before. If not, maybe you've had a friend or an acquaintance who has used that. Now, if you've used that term, 
that's fine. That's not a criticism. If, if, if you have found your place, think, if you found, found yourself in a place of thinking, I, I need to get connected with the body of Christ, I'm not connected, and I need to see where the Lord would want to connect me, that's a good thing. All I'm saying is that it's strange to me that we have, we have taken a term from the consumerist part of our society and applied it to the church. Because frankly, we must admit that shopping is consumerist based. If we're shopping, that means we're willing to spend our currency to get something back. And consumerist thinking at its core is self-centered thinking. It's all about self. It's what can I get for what I'm willing to spend. Again, when it comes to buying things like health club memberships or groceries or new cars or appliances or houses or anything else that you might be shopping for, that's fine. That's the way that our society, our, our culture is built. The problem is that when we, when we bring that type of thinking into the church, it starts to make us dysfunctional in how we relate to each other as the body of Christ. Because we bring that kind of what-can-I-get-out-of-it attitude into our life together. I will admit to you that there is a tension in this. Um, consumerist thinking in the church shows up in a lot of different places, but probably most easily when it comes to worship. Because worship seems to be the, the front line, if you will, between the life of the church and those who are not connected to it. If someone is not connected to the life of the body of Christ, the way that they are usually brought in is through, through worship, through the act of worship. Okay? We get to thinking about what we like. Well, you know, hey, if I'm showing up for worship, we ask questions like, was the music good? Did the preacher bring the word? Was he a good preacher? Was it dynamic? Was it relevant? Was it all of these things? These are the kinds of questions that we like to ask. And I hope you can see how there's a consumerist element in that. It's, what can I get out of the experience? There's not necessarily anything wrong with that. We acknowledge, like I said, there's a tension about this. For instance, Andy Stanley, who's the lead pastor of North Point Community Churches and Ministries in the suburbs of Atlanta, says in his book called Deep and Wide, quote, we as a church are unapologetically attractional. He makes no bones about the fact that as a congregation, they acknowledge that there is a consumerist way of thinking for people who are looking for a church home. They take advantage of that. They say, he said, we want to be attractional for people who are looking to engage the body of Christ. If, not, if, if we're not going to be attractive to them, how can we expect to engage them? I acknowledge that. And I affirm that. 
I affirm that wholeheartedly. The problem comes when we fail to release that way of thinking once we are in the body of Christ. And here's the most simple way that I can put it. And when I say I here, I mean I as representing the church. If I have had to do something to be attractive to you to get you into the church, it's very likely that I will have to continue to do something to be attractive to you in order for you to stay in the church. Or at least for you to be happy in the church. Because what happens is that when we, fail, when we somehow quit being attractive to the people who are part of the body, one of two things frequently happens. One, they leave. Or two, they become very unhappy in staying. It's no longer attractive to me. And that all goes back to the consumerist way of thinking. What needs to change is our minds. The reality of the gospel is that when the gospel has had its way with us, there is a change that happens. You and I, when we are in Christ and the Holy Spirit has gotten a hold of us and started doing a work that we call theologically sanctification, which means making us less like the way we used to be and more like Christ is, we start to change. And part of that change is the way that we think. That's why Paul says in Philippians 2, verse 5, have this attitude, some translations of the Bible would say, have this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. There's an assumption that you don't have that mind already by default. That's why he has to tell you, to challenge you, to encourage you, to make sure that you have that mind in you. Because it doesn't happen naturally. Have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. What kind of mind is that? A, a selfless mind, a, a servant mind, a mind that says it's not about me, it's about others. And he goes on from there and, and gives us what is known uh, very familiar, uh, familiarly as the Christ hymn of Philippians 2, where, where Paul says, who, even though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped but emptied himself and taking the form of a servant being found in human likeness and been being found like a man he he uh, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross that's what Paul is saying that that you had that mind of Jesus where Jesus said I'm willing to go to the cross of and and take that cross cross not for me but for the people of the world if you think about the death of Jesus, the events that led to the death of Jesus, Jesus was the one who did not exhibit selfish behavior. Think about the characters around that narrative. 
Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor who was appointed to Judea, he was already in hot water with the emperor because of the way he had ruled. He knew that one more uprising in his territory could be very bad news for him. And he's presented with this man. He has people who are wanting to put him to death. He says, I don't find any fault in him. And it wasn't because he had such a soft spot for the Jews, because he didn't. Do you know what Pilate based his decision on? What would mitigate the uprising? It's all about me. What gets me out of this sling that my rear end is about to be in? And that's what he did. The Pharisees and the other leaders of, of, of that time, it was all about them. Jesus was a thorn in their side. Jesus was the reason that there were a lot of people that started to question their authority to lead the people called Jews. What was best for them? Get Jesus out. Then we go on about our lives and we have the places we've always had with the people. You could even say about the crowds in general. What did they do? And when I say in general, I don't mean like every person wanted Jesus put to death. Obviously, that's not the case. But generally speaking, the crowds just went, well, what's, which way is the political wind blowing today? Oh, let's see. Crucify him. Sounds good. We'll join in. Keeps the peace. Keeps us aligned with everybody else. And Jesus did not have to give himself other than to be obedient to God's will. The very night when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was not cornered when those temple guards came out to arrest him. All he would have had, if he did not want to be arrested, all he had to do was just walk out the other end to, uh, to the east of the Garden of Gethsemane, up the Mount of Olives, and, and he was long gone. He didn't have to be arrested. He wasn't cornered. But he chose to give himself. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying, that you need to have, the mind that you have to have in you is the self-giving, selfless kind of mind that Jesus had. You and I have to undergo a transformation in order for that to happen. Allow me to read, if you will, from Romans chapter 8. Uh, Paul here starts to kind of talk about that change of mind that needs to happen. And I'll read from Romans 8, verses 5 through 7. Paul says there, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. The mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God. It is not even able to do so. You see, that he, he sets up a contrast. There is a contrast to the way we think in our natural selves and to, to the way that we think when we have submitted ourselves to the Holy Spirit, changing our minds to think like Christ does. Those two are not the same. And Paul understands that. That's why Paul goes on and writes in Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed. This might be a good trivia question for next week. I'll go ahead and tee that up for you. You can be looking for it. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind.
Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, For if a person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are, are gone. Behold, new things have come. So many places the New Testament tells us that when a person is in Christ, he or she is not the same as they were. And that includes the fact that our thinking becomes renewed. We do not think the way we used to think. We do not think the way that we think in the world. So there's a question that we could very easily ask. If I am being renewed, into what am I being renewed? If I'm being transformed, into what am I being transformed? Into my same old self? Of course not. Into the image of Christ. So that I don't import the things of the world into my life in the body of Christ. Those things get left for the benefit of the new things. And that includes the way we think about being in relationship to the body. God has not brought you into the body of Christ so that you can approach it with an attitude of, what can I get out of it? God has brought you into the body of Christ so that you can approach it with an attitude of, what can I give to it? That is the very simple difference between the mind of Christ and the imported consumerist thinking that so often manifests itself in the life of the church. I will admit that this is something that challenges us on, uh, on, on very um, subtle levels because those kinds of things show themselves in very subtle ways. But we have, we have to be aware of it. And we have to understand that when we approach our life in the church, based on what I can get out of it, what I prefer, what I like, about meeting what I would prefer, we are not giving ourselves to the body with the mind of Christ. And it ultimately becomes divisive rather than being uniting. Paul does a wonderful job of getting at this. We read this passage in Philippians 2. Uh, he kind of gets that momentum. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and compassion, which he knows there is, and he's saying, look, you know, all of these things are happening. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. You see how he hits on that unity of the body that is so important to be there. And then in verses 3 and 4, he just puts it in these so direct and simple terms where he says, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. Some translations may say selfish ambition. But with humility of mind in each of you, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Wow. It's not about me. It's not about what I like. If it's not about me, then what's it about? It's about the body. If it's not about me, then it's about the body. And if it's about the body, 
It's about the mission of the body. Jesus once said to those who would come after him, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Maybe I shouldn't go on from there too quickly. Doesn't that just speak by itself? Let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. That idea of taking up the cross is, is an act of willful surrender to a life that serves only Jesus Christ. Taking up a cross is not something that you do because it's thrust upon you without your choice. That's not taking a cross. Taking up your cross means willfully taking upon yourself a life that no longer is about your interest. It's about Jesus and Him only. When you've taken up that life, then you realize that the only thing that matters is what's good for the body because what is good for the body is good for the mission. And that's what it's all about. Let me share with you an illustration that I think brings this home pretty well. It was 1994. Those of you who are avid sports followers will remember this. The Chicago Bulls were post-Michael Jordan. When Jordan was no longer part of the team, the default star of the team was Scottie Pippen. In 1994, the Bulls found themselves playing the New York Knicks in the Eastern Conference semifinals. It was game three. The game was tied with less than two seconds to play, and the Chicago Bulls had possession. During a timeout, the teams went to their benches. When the teams came back on the court, everybody who was watching the game, people in the stands, people watching on television, even the announcers, were completely baffled because Scottie Pippen was not on the court. When you have the chance to win the game right here, right now, what sense does it make to not have your star player on the court? It makes really no sense. What people in that moment didn't realize is that something had transpired during that timeout. Phil Jackson, the coach of the Chicago Bulls, had drawn up a play. Scottie Pippen was to be the designated inbounder for the team. Tony Kukoc was designated to take that potential game-winning shot. When that play was drawn up, Scottie Pippen decided that he was not going to take the court because he was not going to be the one to take that shot. Now the end of the story is, Kukoc made the shot, the Bulls won the game. 
this story has been shared enough times that for some people it will be it will start to get old I want you to think for a moment what kind of image that gives if it's not about me I'm not going out if I don't get to take the shot I'll just sit out the, the interesting thing about team sports is that when teams win the whole team wins is that right Larry I mean you don't have one person who wins and the rest of them lose when the team wins, the whole team wins. You can have a star player who may, I mean, he may be the league's leading scorer for the whole season, but if the team hasn't won, when the postseason rolls around, that star player is going to be sitting at home rather than competing on the field or on the court for a championship. The only way that teams win is when the whole team wins, not when just one player wins. Friends, the body of Christ wins when the whole team wins. If our attitude is, it's what I want to get out of it, we are not fostering what best moves us toward the team winning. Two weeks ago, I issued an invitation to you to make a commitment to be a functioning body of the part, part of the body of Christ. Last week, I extended an invitation to you to make a commitment that you would be a unifying part of the body of Christ. My invitation to you today is to make a commitment to be a selfless part of the body of Christ. I recognize that that's easier said than carried out because I recognize that every one of us have preferences, likes and dislikes, which is natural. We all have them. The thing we have to commit to is for them not to be the means by which we relate to the good of the body. Will you commit to being a selfless part of the body of Christ? That the body may be all that it's called to be. Let's pray together. Father, we give you glory this day that you, through the sacrifice of your son Jesus Christ, have created a beautiful body. We call it the church. We sometimes call it the body of Christ. But we recognize that by your grace, you've made us part of that body. We acknowledge, God, that there are certain things we like over certain other things. That's just a reality. But, God, we would pray. We would pray that that transforming work of the Holy Spirit within us would lead us to the place that is so beautifully and simply described by the Apostle Paul. That the mind that we have, the thinking, the attitude that we have when we relate to each other, when we relate to the church, is that it would not be about us, 
that we would not allow those likes and dislikes to get in the way of us being fully unifying and functioning parts of your body. God, we know that we're going to need your Holy Spirit to keep doing that within us because our tendency is going to be just to lapse back into it. But we ask you for it. Give us eyes to see where we fall short of that. Give us the courage to move forward into it. Give us hearts that are surrendered to you that in every way we may truly be like Christ, not only with ourselves, but for the world, that they may see your glory and your beauty. For it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's Word. You can catch our worship services online at www.rmumc.net. May the Lord grant you the light of his truth as you journey through this day.